Jen Cooper, the keeper here, ready for the next episode of the Mixed Zone Women's Soccer Podcast. This is episode number 239. And with that, we'll give a stat shout out to the 2003 Women's World Cup held in the USA. Average attendance for those 32 games was 21,239 fans, which is pretty impressive for a tournament that got moved from China to the USA just about four months before the start of the tournament and had to go head-to-head with the fall college and NFL season. So that's pretty good numbers. Average attendance in 2015 was 26,000 and 29 fans per game. And I'm thinking 2019 should top that. We'll see. All right, two chats today. First, Graham Hayes from ESPNW. We talked about the USA friendlies versus Australia and Belgium, plus uh, shared our thoughts on what we think might happen in this summer's Women's World Cup. Of course, everybody has thoughts on that. And then had a great chat with Alicia Delgallo of prosoccerusa.com. She's one of the founders. We talked about WOSO coverage, launching that website. And also, since she's based in Orlando, we talked specifically about the Orlando Pride. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Graham Hayes, who covers women's soccer for ESPNW. Graham, you were lucky enough to be on site for these last two U.S. women's national team games. And I I can't even think of a good adjective to describe those two games together other than what the hell, 11 goals, <laughs> Alex Morgan's hundredth, you know, a brace from Pew. Um, Carly Lloyd starts and gets a brace. You've got the, the 99ers reunion. There was so much going on with those two games. It was kind of overwhelming, but we don't need my take. I, I want to hear your thoughts on being in the stadium for, for both of those games. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I, I would certainly agree with, with your take just there. Um, <laughs> it was two, two very, very unique uh, games. And just, it was, I mean, you know, obviously right now we're kind of all in that World Cup mode where everything has to relate to what's going on in, in June in France. But if you just kind of, like I tried to just, once it was over, just kind of take a step back and realize that, you know, those were two really, really fun games just to, just to enjoy as a soccer fan. And I'm not even, not even a U.S. fan, just a soccer fan. Right. Um, just be, because of everything you're talking about, just in the, the atmosphere of both places, what was going on, obviously, you know, with, with off the field with the 99ers in, in L.A. And just um, so, yeah, even even beyond everything you take away in that bigger picture, it was just in in, in a moment. They were both really, really, really cool um, experiences. So let's talk first about the match against Australia, which we knew would be the greater challenge of, of the two games. And, of course, we saw what what appears to be uh, Ellis's pretty close to Ellis's starting lineup in that match. Now, I don't think any coach plans to concede three goals um, and still win the game, uh, but it's it's nice to see uh, the U.S. firing on all cylinders and, and and getting five. You know, ultimately, doesn't matter how many you concede if you score at least one more than what you conceded. Yeah, and I I, I think kind of what what we saw in that game is sort of where the u.s is right now at least in my mind is that you, you saw everything that will that can allow this team to win the world cup i mean you know you you, you saw the, the the attacking options you saw how well they can play together how much they seem to enjoy playing together so you saw all the good stuff you know that that 
are the reasons why this team can win in France. And you also saw some, you know, the the, the problems defensively. Um, I, I don't just mean you know the back line defensively, just the team defense that we've seen you know over the, the first few months of this year that that you know, hint that it's still an, an unfinished product at this point. So you saw all the good and you saw all the question marks and I guess an opponent like Australia, um, you know, it was obviously good that the good part of that outweigh the question marks in the end. Well, and to have, to have a game against Australia who the last few times we've played them, it's just been, very different Hard. than if you look at the rest of our history against Australia. So, you know, 2017, they, they topped the U.S. for the first time winning 1-0. Last summer in Tournament of Nations, they were up 1-0 for a while. And, you know, we equalized in the last gasp of stoppage time for a 1-1 final. So I think we all knew going in that this one would be pretty intense. I don't think anyone would have predicted predicted eight goals. Uh but talk about, you know, what you saw offensively from, you know, of course, Alex Morgan getting getting her 100th goal. That was kind of great to kind of, you know, get that out of the way. We were so close the last few games. Uh, but then also Pew coming off the bench second half and boom, you know, getting two. Yeah, I, I think that was, that was one of the things that was struck by just kind of how that, that game and how the goals in that game especially were – Kind of a, a a mix of the 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 old and, and and the new with the team. You you know you saw the the established core kind of reduce those first few goals with Alex and Tobin and Pino, um, and then you saw Pew come on. And I don't know if it was the first touch, but after what thirty seven thirty eight seconds, um, get a, yeah. you know, a, a, a a very classy goal, um, and, and 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 some strong play from you know younger players in the, the midfield throughout that game. So I think. It, it, it struck me that you just you, you you had kind of the full arsenal there. You had the established veterans that you're going to count on. We also had some really strong performances by by young players and players like Pew who may not be starting right away in France. And it just showed off that you know, um, for, you know, for those those front six positions and the uh, forwards and midfielders, it does really sort of feel right now like you have eight, maybe even nine starters, which is I think a really good place to be. Yeah, Jill definitely has some pretty tough decisions to make. And then back in, in midfield, we saw the return of Lindsay Horan. You know, she sat out, she believes, because of a minor injury. So to have her back in midfield, I would say kind of your teeth of midfield. And then joined by Samantha Mewis in the, in the second half. I mean, I just the combination of those two, I, I really, really like it in, in midfield. And, you know, no, no offense to, to what Rose Lavelle can bring, but... You know, I I think what those two bring together are going to be is, is going to be really hard for an an opponent to break down. I, I, I think that's a very fair point. I think, I think there there are a lot of people looking at the way Mios is playing right now, and um, you know, wondering if if she's the the I don't know if safer is the right word, but a more reliable bet, or just you know, it, it, it's somebody who has to be certainly considered for one of those starting roles right now. Um, she, she 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 played really well in that game. Has played you know well most of this year. I feel like. Um, and, and again, that's that's the same as with the fours. I don't think it's bad to have four starters for three spots, and you know, in the midfield, and where you can kind of pick and choose if you know horses for courses, um, which way you want that midfield to 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 line up in a, a certain game. 
Well, and I was a little surprised. I think a lot of people were surprised that with the call for Ali Krieger, you know, after really being out of camp for the last 18 months or so, to get called in and not played in this match where, you know, going in between the two opponents, Australia and Belgium, that Australia is most likely going to be the tougher opponent. Why you wouldn't test Ali Krieger there. Now, we did see her play against Belgium and even start against Belgium, which was, you know, really exciting, I know, for her for her fans. But, you know, what what do you think we saw from that? You know, you I know you went to the, the post-game press conferences and the other media events. Did you get a sense of, of where she stands, um, you know, in the pecking order? It, it seemed like sort of a, a, a mixed bag um, as far as what Joe Ellis was talking about. You know, over the course of both games, and I, I agree, it was it was it was surprising the the way she she, she was used because you figure if she's going to make the team, you know, partly it's because of everything she brings off the field, but also it's because Ellis always talks about wanting you know people for certain specific roles, and everybody has to have you know a, a purpose to be on the roster. And with Krieger, you would assume it would be more defensive than offensive, and so why not use her in a game where you're going to be where you aren't going to have the ball, you know, 80% of the time. I don't know if it was 80 against Belgium, but they certainly felt like they were attacking most of the time. Um, you know, so so why why player in the Belgian game and not the Australia game? I agree, it was kind of, it was hard to figure. We didn't really get an answer on on why why she chose what what she chose. Um, but it, it was like it, it was hard to read because going into the game against Belgium, Ellis talked about uh, kind of what factors go into those those last few roster decisions. She was talking a lot about kind of the 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 off field stuff and and why she picked Ch- Shannon Box in 2015, which was because there was a role Box could play on the field, but also because of everything she brought off the field, who she was as a veteran and a leader. And you know, you, you hear and the question wasn't about Krieger, but you you hear her talking in that way, and it 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 fits everything you think of when you think of Ali Krieger. So you, you go into the Belgian game really thinking like there's a place for Ali on the team. And then coming out of it, Ellis wasn't as effusive and she wasn't critical of Krieger, but it just wasn't, there's an opportunity there to, you know, to, to make a statement that would lead you to believe that she was, she was firmly in the running and it, that opportunity wasn't taken. So you kind of come out of it unsure where, where, where Ellis stands on it. Um, and, well, especially when Belgium didn't really have much of a, a, an attack, there wasn't, exactly, yeah. you know, what, what, what could you see? Yeah, yeah, um, and and what, what and I think what you saw was a player who hadn't had the advantage of the games in Europe or the she believes, and you know, so even in the role she was playing, you know, she, she wasn't going to be as sharp as other people because she was still coming out of her, of her preseason. Right, really, really good point. Um, and with these two games, unlike she believes, we did see a lot more subbing. She believes it seemed more like that the Jill was trying to stick to the format of, Hey, if it's the world cup, I only get three subs, you know, so more people have to be prepared to play the full 90 here. She, she used, you know, a a lot of subs. So even against Belgium, you know, split the game between Alyssa Nair and Ashlyn Harris. I was, you know, happy to see another keeper get minutes though. You know, I would have split that game between Harris and French, you know, it's, it's like everybody, everybody needs some minutes. And if, 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 I think if, if Nair had been healthy throughout the she believes, I think you, you might have seen that. Um, and I'm, that's just that's not anything Ellis said. That's just my gut. But I think because 
Mare didn't get as many starts as Ellis had, had mm. wanted her to get, and she believes maybe, maybe she was getting her more time, you know, in, in these games. That's just my my hunch. Now, were you surprised when you saw the lineup against Belgium and, you know, Carly Lloyd getting her first start of the year and, you know, went the full 90, which, you know, we have not seen um, in a while. Not that she's, of course, not incredibly fit, but just, you know, that's not how uh, Jill Ellis has been lining things up. Yeah, I, I wasn't the the Lloyd one didn't didn't surprise me that much just because you should, it felt like she was do do a run at some point. Um, uh-huh. that, that game made made sense, but yeah, with, with the overall lineup in that game, I, I thought there were there were a lot of of, of surprises, and not that she was going to make not that it was a surprise that she would make changes coming out of the Australia game at high altitude and going into the Belgium game, but um, just. Some of it's like playing, playing done in midfield, moving Ertz back to the back line. Just yeah, you know, that it was, it, it was, it was odd that it wasn't, it, it wasn't all about giving, you know, the, the the reserves more minutes. It was also kind of about some experimentation and tinkering within the players that we we, we have already seen a, a lot of. I was kind of surprised by. Now, wasn't tinkering supposed to be done with, you know, by <laughs> a year ago? So I mean, not not that I, not that I'm opposed to. You know, you, you can't think, okay, at any point, okay, we're done, you know, because I think you do need, uh, you know, a, a team, a, a player pool that can flex to, you know, whatever happens, uh, you know, on the field or off the field. I mean, I've, I've used this example before, but you, you think about 2008 and, a, you know, two days before they're leaving for the Olympics, uh, Abby Wambach breaks her leg and, you know, then you have to be able to improvise and play different different setups but it just seems it seems very different from the last cycle you know at at this point which again was was coached by Jill but with a much different player pool I mean it it seems like when she came on board in 2014 after Sermani was fired that it seemed like the directive was just use this pool of players Whereas since the 2016 Olympics and even a little bit before then, we were seeing more players from the league getting called up, more players getting a shot, you know. So you look at McCall Zerboni, Jessica McDonald, Allie Long, those those players actually, you know, getting to be a factor. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that's a good point. And, and you know, and as far as how Ellis is approaching it, when, when I say, you know, I'm, I was surprised by, by some of the moves. To, to be fair to her, I don't think it was out of character for how how she's gone about things. I, I think she very much, you know, at this point in the cycle, having looked at all the people like you're talking about, I think right now her she's very focused on, um, you know, uh, ways in which you can get the best players on the field at the, at the, at the same time. So depth for, depth for her in her mind is not just who's who's the understudy for Crystal Dunn. You know, at, at outside back, it's can Dunn also. You know, is it, it, depth about Dunn being able to to move up up to the midfield or up to forward during the course of a game and bring somebody else on at outside back or change change the formation. So it, it's not just you know a first line and a second line in terms of depth. It's right depth of pe- people being able to play multiple positions. And and like you know, giving Carly Lloyd a run, also giving Kristen Press a run, so she gets the start. Mm-hmm. And you know, and she hasn't had a lot of starts o- over the years. Um, so you know, great to see her get get that chance. And and like you said, the you know, Ertz back on the back line. So we actually had three of the four <laughs> members from the 2015 back yeah. line, you know, reunited. Uh, you know. <laughs> 
together. Um, and then of course, you know, up front you had Sunday, you've got the 20 year old, almost 21 Mallory Pugh and the 36 year old <laughs> Carly Lloyd getting her, I think she's a 271, 271 caps now. Um, she's quickly approaching the, the all time top five. She'll be meeting, uh, you know, passing Fowdy and, and Ham pretty soon. But, you know, in many ways, I, I feel pretty good going into this World Cup that we have such talent and so much more talent in terms of, you know, depth and options, um, you know, compared to 2015, where it was really, it's like, it's just this and this better work, you know. Um, but there's that, like, Thursday was just so strange <laughs> against uh, Australia, just seeing that, um, you know, the defensive breakdowns and, you know, I just try to tell myself, it's like, well, this is what these games are for is to work out, you know, all of those, all of those kinks. But, you know, from your experiences being in Colorado and in California for these, ta- these two games, I mean, what was the the vibe you were getting from, not just Jill, but also, you know, the players, the team of, of how they're feeling with just, you know, after this three games and then they head to France. Right. Um, I mean, I, it, it's, it's, there, there's always going to be a certain, you know, uh, uh, wall they put up uh, when, when they're talking to us, but yeah, I, I think you, you, you do get a sense that they're, they feel pretty good about, uh, about where they are. And I, I, I think I said it earlier and I, I do really get a sense that, this team really enjoys playing with each other. I think there are so many connections throughout the team that, you know, that it's, it's, it's not just kind of that, um, you know, teams will always say they enjoy playing together. They'll always say that have good chemistry, but when you're around this team, even in the limited capacity that we're able to be, you do get a feel that they really do enjoy playing together um, and do kind of bring the best out of each other. Um, so I, you know, I, I think, where some some of the of the question marks that still exist could be problematic if you had had a team that didn't get along if you, if you had a team that did have some strain internally uh, I think that's lessened by where mm-hmm. we are not I think they're they're able to kind of focus on the positives um, just because it, it does seem like it's fairly good team chemistry. Yeah, I I think that's you know one of the things we've seen historically that that has always carried the team. Uh, you know, when maybe they haven't been been playing, you know, at their best. But when I when I look ahead to this summer, I, I think this is going to be such an unpredictable tournament, uh, similar in a way to Russia la- last summer, where, I, you know, there's so many people that I think so many teams that would have a chance to, to get to the final. And, you know, I wouldn't have said that about about 2015 or, 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 or 2011. Um and you know, part of that, of course, is the expanded uh, tournament size. But more importantly, with it being the second tournament with that expanded size, you know, I, I think we've seen how that, you know, the lower tier basically, you know, if you've got three groups of eight for this 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 tournament, and in your lower eight, the eight teams that you know wouldn't be in the tournament if it hadn't been expanded. I feel like the difference between that lower eight from 2015. And 2019 is huge. Yeah, I, I think I think that's true. I think you've 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 seen a, a lot of growth at that level you're talking about. And I, I don't I don't have them in front of me, but I remember looking at some point just at 
at some of the round of 16 games that, that you could end up with on, you know, on paper. And it's, yeah. it's even the, even those feel like you're, you're going to have so, so much more intense games at, at that round than you did four years ago. Yeah. And, and of course, when you've got 24 teams moving on to round of 16 and you've got, so four of the, six third place teams go on. It makes it really complicated to figure out all the different yeah. possible <laughs> matchups. But I started looking at that, at that too. It's like, Oh, we could see Spain in the, mm-hmm. in, in the, in the round of 16. And that would not be, that would not be like playing Colombia in, in, in 2015. So, no. you know, <laughs> or Germany. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really looking forward to, you know, uh, that tournament and, and seeing the support for the game in Europe, because, you know, we were spoiled in 2015 that sure technically wasn't a tournament in the U S but it was really, really close. So you had the American invasion <laughs> of the Canadian border and, you know, it got to feel like a home tournament, you know, for, for the players, but here you're, you'll they'll definitely be abroad. And, you know, when we've seen recently the, the increased following for the game, you know, in FAWSL or the incredible numbers coming out of Spain or Italy or, you know, France selling out its, uh, friendlies, you know, heard good stuff about, uh, you know, the games in the Netherlands too. I'm just, I'm, I'm really excited to see a more international embracing of these games. Um, But I wonder, you know, what does that mean for uh, the U S you know, in in terms of the players at the actual game, or is it just the kind of thing that, you know, hopefully Ellis has prepared them for, you know, I kind of feel like last cycle, she toughened them up by going to Brazil the December before the women's world cup where it's like, you're not at home, you know, you're tired. Uh, you know, no one's speaking the language. They're not rooting for you. And, and I think she did something similar this January with the, those two games against France and Spain, like, you know, right after, right after your holiday break. But, uh, you know, and, and the, I don't, I, I don't know if you were, if you were covering the games in 2011 um, in, in Germany, but you know, I'd, I'd like to think that it'll take that and, and take it to the next level. Yeah, yeah, you would you, you would hope it's kind of the way we've seen the game grow overall in Europe, and and I'll be fascinated to see you know outside. Of, obviously, if they end up playing France in a quarterfinal, but we we, we know how the crowd's going to go. Um, in that. But, but, <laughs> yeah. but, but, yeah. but but I'll be curious outside of that just to see you know if if it's all about neutrals for a game, how the U.S. has received. You know, are they? Are they a popular team because these are some of the biggest stars in the world still in women's soccer, or are people are is, is everybody going to be rooting, rooting for the other team yeah. when the U.S. boys? Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see what kind of crowd favorite they are over there. Well, and from your perspective, you know, covering women's soccer for ESPNW, how have you seen, you know, kind of the following of the game? change both you know i know you cover it for women's college soccer too like the final four but like how have you seen you you know like do you get access to or we're getting more clicks or just you're getting more responses on twitter or what you know what's what's the journey that you've seen for the coverage of the sport um 
interesting question just in how how it's how it's changed. I mean, I started covering the the, the national team first, um, kind of in the, the bleak years, you know, in '06 and '07. Um, <laughs> we can we can call them the the, the hidden years, you know, uh, to, to borrow years, yeah. Carly Carly Lloyd's book title when no one was watching. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, at, 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 that 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 obviously came after um, you know the huge surge in '99 and 2000. But so from from '06 and '07 to now is is obviously night and day. Um, you know, whether or not that's, you know, night and day, it's obviously not night and day from 99, but, um, and I, I'm, I'm just constantly amazed by, cause I do get a chance to cover, you know, I cover basketball, I cover softball for ESPNW and just how, how different the places that this team occupies, um, just, just in the sports world. Um, you, you know, whether it's, it's Uber drivers or Lyft drivers or people at, at border crossings or people in airports, you know, just random encounters that, People know about the U.S. team and are, care about the U.S. team, and um, in, in ways that they don't about you know, even USA basketball, USA softball. It's just it, it, this particular team occupies such a, a such a different place, um, just in the in the overall societal picture of sports, um, which which always fascinates me. And that, that obviously that's grown. That began building again in 2011 and through 2012, and obviously winning in 2015. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating to see where where it stands right now. Yeah, it's it, when I think about the the ninety niners and you know they they were honored during the broadcast Sunday, you know that kind of catapulted the team to a level of you know you know get it get it household names and. But then when you had the the big names retire, then, you know, they did hit like, you know, you said the bleak years or the years no one no one was watching. And so I've seen, you know, since then, like different waves of of the attention rising. So you had the 2011 quarterfinal and World Cup performance, you know, that you had a, a new level of interest and then raised a little bit more with the 2012 Olympics, but of course Olympics, when there's so many other sports going on, it can't, it's not like it's all about, you know, women's soccer. And then of course with 2015, not just Carly Lloyd's performance, but the whole team and it being, you know, in our time zones and incredible viewing record. So it's as, you know, when I interact with women's soccer fans, I find that they, they tend to be, post 2011 or post 2015 you know that 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 whatever 99er fans were there like somehow got lost in the in in that in those dark years though they're still out there here here and there so i'm really curious to see how large the wave is following this summer you know because because we know it's going to be there but but what kind of wave is it is it going to be for sure, yeah, and uh, obviously that, that 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 depends largely on on the results, right? And do you do you get to uh, travel to France at all for the Women's World Cup this summer? Uh, yep, yeah, I'll be I'll be heading over there at the, the end of May or or the first part of June, whenever I uh, go. I'm not sure, but yeah, I'll be over there for the the, the, the nice. whole run. Nice, and and so hopefully you have some travel assistance to help you figure out. Okay, if, if this happens here, then we go here. But if this happens here, then we, <laughs> we go to the hotel. But hey, at least it's you know when you think of the size of France, which is you know 
a little bit smaller than Texas. You've got much easier transportation options than Canada in 2015, where ostensibly you might have had to fly from Vancouver to Moncton. <laughs> which, which we 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 were. Uh, I think I think that was an option going into the to the last U.S. group game in Canada that we we were all worried about. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and I think. No, I don't, I don't think a team had to end up doing that. But I was looking at that. And I was like, wow, one team might get screwed if they finish in this position and have to fly to that round of 16 match. But yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to have, have the World Cup back in a country where it's a really manageable size. And, and this doesn't get talked about very often, um, but you're back to each game uh, basically being you know, a, a standalone that you're not, mm-hmm. you're not having a whole tournament of, of double headers. You know, 2011 was the first one where every game was a standalone game. Um, Canada, because it was so spread out and they didn't have a lot of venues. It was almost all double headers. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm excited to see it back in a, in a situation where it can be, standalone games um and of course we we should mention and on grass every game played uh, on grass the way it should be (laughs) yeah with var but so with with that graham i will i will i will end this chat um i really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk women's soccer with me and i'm very jealous that you're going to get to spend the entire world cup tournament in france <laughs> Thanks for having me. All right, Jen Cooper, the keeper here with Alicia Del Gallo, managing editor and co-founder of ProSoccerUSA.com. Did I get that right? Alicia, yes. that sounds right. You okay, cool. Yep, yeah, and that's right. a website I, th- I think everybody should be checking out because unlike a lot of media sites that have folded in the last <laughs> year or <laughs> condensed, you you helped launch this website last year. So talk about, yeah. one, how you got into covering soccer and women's soccer and then launching ProSoccerUSA.com. Right. Well, um, so I was at the Orlando Sentinel as a sports reporter um, when the Orlando City and uh, be open to cover soccer and MLS. And I had been, you know, I had covered their USL championship games and backed up the previous beat writer on the Orlando City beat. So um, they moved me into that role and then the pride launched. And so it was really full time covering two, two major league teams um, in Orlando City and the Pride. And I was able to do that for two seasons. Um, And during that time there, I participated in kind of an innovation, like a volunteer innovation group um, at the Orlando Sentinel Uh and pitched this idea. You know, this idea was formulated um, to maybe launch a national vertical uh, that covered soccer. And in particular, um, you know, initially the focus was Major League Soccer um, because we felt that there was a void there and that would be something that we could launch pretty quickly mm-hmm. and get buy-in for. And um, typically when you pitch these ideas and, and things like these and innovation meetings, they just 
die. Nothing happens. (laughs) You don't, you don't like hear about it ever again. And so that was my expectation. You know, I did my part. I threw some ideas out there and now this is over. Uh, Well, you know, about six months later, I think it was the beginning of December, 2017. um, My managers came to me and said, so, you know, we brought the idea to corporate in Chicago and they told us to go for it. So we're going to, we want, you know, we're going to launch. Do you want to, do you want to do this? And I said, sure. You know, what's the plan? And they said, well, we're going to launch and be up and running before this, this next season. I said, this next season, as in three months away, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, do you know what the idea was? Um, You know, it's to have a writer in every market and have a website, you know, everywhere. And they're just like, yeah, you know, let's do it. So, Ready go. You know, yeah, we <laughs> lost our minds a little bit. Um, and we did it. We got up, we got up and running um, in time for the MLS season. And the initial plan was not to launch uh, NWSL and women's soccer coverage until year two. But um, with myself in charge and my, um, my boss, Ileana Lamone Romero, who's a sports director at the Orlando Sentinel, um, running this, you know, we really felt that we needed to launch NWSL coverage right away the same time that, you know, as soon as their season started, which was a little, a little over a month, I think after the MLS season started. So um, we were, we had no resources to do that. (laughs) So we kind of took it upon ourselves and um, Jordan Culver, who took over as the Orlando city, Orlando pride beat writer um, to make sure that we were updating scores and schedules and writing breaking news when it, came out just, you know, on top of everything else that we were doing um, and soliciting help when we needed. And then um, this year, we, I finally have the resources to kind of do it right. So we've expanded and um, all of our writers that are in MLS markets with NWSL teams will be covering the NWSL teams the same way that they're covering the MLS teams. I also brought on a writer in North Carolina, Mitchell Norsom, who will be covering the Courage, um, and a writer in New York, Pardeep Katri, who is solely covering uh, Sky Blue FC. So we will be able to significantly increase uh, NWSL coverage this year as well. And then, especially with the World Cup coming up, we have a lot of lot of plans for that as well. Well, and, and, and I'm so happy to hear that you were able to avoid the, hey, let's launch the men's first and then the women's, where it doesn't make yeah. sense when you have an active league for women, too. It's not like NWSL was in the future. NWSL was now. You've got a national team, yeah. you know, that was, you know, getting ready to go into qualifying. And, you know, so... Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to wait. The market's there, especially as we've seen, uh, you know, other outlets, um, you know, cut their soccer reporters, whether it's men, women, both, you know, or some sites just go away, um, you know, altogether. So yeah, and we had really seen have any- like. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I go was going to say we we had really seen the three of us having covered women's soccer. We had seen the response from readers and from fans and the interaction on social media, how, you know, great all of that was. So we knew that there was an audience for it. And we knew that there was also, you know, a lack in coverage with only a few outlets dedicating coverage to women's soccer. So we felt strongly that it was important to 
to cover the league in your in our first year as well. Um, no matter what we had to do to make that happen, and now I'm really excited for this this season. Do you have any special plans for Women's World Cup coverage? We do, and I think this will be the first time I'm actually saying saying this publicly, but um, <laughs> I'll be going to France to cover the World Cup. <laughs> That so is great. I, will, I will be there. Yeah. So um, we lobbied hard for that as well. Um, I'll be over in France to cover it. And actually, what's really great and kind of shows you, you know, how much a lot of people on our, you know, a lot of writers and contributors and freelancers with us care about the women's game is I think I have two to three freelancers who um, just told me a couple months ago that they've been saving for the past four years so that they can go as freelancers and just try to pick up as much work as possible. So I've been helping them um, through the credential process and we'll be giving them as much work as possible as well. So um, we potentially could have up to four ProSoccer USA contributors there. That is really great to hear. And and I know I've seen some consternation on on Twitter from people. It's like, are we going to have any American media there. And I, and I think we all default to just thinking about the big name outlets, but, you know, as, as you're showing and, and, you know, we've experienced as followers of the game that it's that, you know, smaller outlet that can actually, you know, give the better coverage, you know, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm similar to those people, you know, saving their money for, you know, for years of just like, you know, 2015, no one was paying me to go, but I was like, Hey, at least I can get podcasts out of this and, you know, make some connections and, and being able to get the credential, uh, you know, to, so that you can see the, the post game press conferences and get all the notes and, and stats it's you know it's it's so so valuable and i think we were really spoiled in 2015 media wise because it wasn't that far to go right you know um even if your newspaper yeah um wasn't that far you're not crossing an ocean you're not really having a language challenge unless perhaps you were in montreal uh but yeah, so this is this is a, a a bigger commitment, and you know that's that's so great to hear that you guys were able to get that funding, and not only just you know for you, but for for freelancers because it's that it's that on the ground coverage that is so different. You know, it's one thing to watch a game mm-hmm. on TV and write about it; it's another thing to be there and see practices and be in the mix zones and you know get those exactly. those other 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 sources so that's that's really exciting to hear um well speaking of the world cup let's talk really quickly about um the orlando players since you are based in orlando the orlando players who are playing for the u.s women's national team of course alex Mm -hmm. morgan who uh, as we're taping this just uh scored her hundredth international goal last night for the u.s national team and Allie Krieger called up after what a year and a half. Didn't see any time mm-hmm. last night, and of course Ashlyn Harris sitting there on the bench as usual. I'm sure that's really frustrating to you as someone who has covered covered Orlando <laughs> so closely. Yeah. But, but give me give me your thoughts on those, you know, those players and and the impact you think that they can have this summer. I mean, 
Alex, everybody knows the impact that she can have um, scoring her 100th goal. She's going to score how many more <laughs> um, over her U.S. career. Um, I think the biggest impact um, here in Orlando is going to be missing her from, from the scoring um, along with all the other players who will be called up. But um, Allie, I think it's still to be seen. Is she going to be on the roster? Was she just called up now for depths and where does she fit in moving forward on the U.S. Women's National Team? I think that's a, a big question mark um, to see. And then Ashlyn, um, like I said, seeing her play and covering the pride, um, I may be a little biased, but I just, I think that she should, she should have seen more time <laughs> in these, in these kind of lead up games. Um, I know that her style is a little more aggressive, which can be a little more scary at times. Um, but I also think that's something that the U S needs. And um, I also know that she is one of the best motivators um, out of all of the players that I've ever spoken to. She is among the top. So um, she really brings a fire and a passion and a, and an aggressiveness to, to the role that maybe they, they could use a little of. And, you know, and regardless of what uh, a coach's preferred goalkeeper style might be, you know, we can't get around the fact that there's been so little rotation, you know, that, 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 you know, Hey, I I understood why in 2016, Alyssa Nair edged Ashlyn Harris at the time in that, what, two or three month window where Jill had to make the decision of, you know, which one would get to make the 18 for Rio. This is different. You're taking three. Um, you no longer have Hope Solo in the mix. You know, mm-hmm. Harris should have had more caps. France should have been capped, you know, sooner than, than last month and Campbell and maybe Casey Murphy and some other players as well. So it's an actual competition for that. Yeah. But anyway, I digress into my usual goalkeeper, <laughs> goalkeeper rant. Um, but let's talk more about Orlando. I mean, it's, this is a new era for the Orlando pride mm-hmm. going into their uh, fourth season, first season without original coach, Tom Sermani. Yeah. Mark Skinner now on board coming over from from the UK. What are your what are you hearing so far? I mean, it, it, it's a pretty thin roster when when I look at it yeah. on paper. Um, and and I, I feel like it's going to be a rebuilding year. But it's one thing for me to yeah. say that from a distance. And that's why I'd rather hear like, you know, you're on the ground there. So what do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're you're pretty accurate. And the rebuilding year basically last year was an embarrassment for them having so many talented players um, and finishing the the way that they did. So I think this year is really going to be about trying to make the most of the firepower that they have in a way that they haven't in the past. Um, At the same time with it being a world cup year and they'll be missing, you know, potentially up to nine uh, international players at the time. It's, you know, there's a lot of movement that still needs to happen. They're not done by any means bringing players in um, because they can't be, because like you said, it is still (laughs) a thin, a thin roster and they'll be losing significant portion of their roster and not just for the world cup. I think a lot of people forget, you know, a lot of fans or readers or casual um, casual fans might say, Oh, well the world cup's only, you know, a month. That's not too bad, but forgetting that these players go into camp very early 
and then the reacclimation period after. So it's a significant chunk of the right. season that they're going to need right. to to fill in for these players and they're going to need backup plans. And, and so um, definitely not done bringing in players by any means. Especially with this year, the first time the max roster being increased to 22 spots and you can sign up to four supplemental players, you know, and I've heard that the league wants all teams to be at 20 signed players, uh, even during the world cup, like no fewer than 20. So, you know, like you said, you, you have to have players to fill in and not just those supplemental stepping, stepping up, but, you know, maybe every now and then you have additional national team replacement players signed, you know, so that you've mm-hmm. got a full roster at, at 20. Um, it's, I think it's easy for us as those who just, you know, watching at the game to forget that practice, if you don't have enough people that can really limit what kind of practices you can do. You know, uh, you know, the whole reason yeah. that you take 23 to a world cup, it's two full teams of 11 plus a third keeper. You know, the idea mm-hmm. is, is that you can, you know, you can have uh, full scrimmages, you can have full practices. And, you know, I, I remember 2015, just some really, lean times for for the dash and they had so many kind of just tryout players and practice players just so yeah. they could have a full practice so you know i think that's going to be the team during the olympics challenge. the last uh-huh. olympics and it was the same you know it was the same for the pride just bringing in amateur players bringing in college players um whenever possible just to have a full practice and is that why and i feel weird asking this is that why part of the reason why Sydney LaRue has still been training? <laughs> you know, I can't say for sure if that's why. I think Sydney is, um, you know, competitive and obviously loves the sport. So I think that she, you know, if she wants to be training, uh, then she will. I don't think yeah. anyone would say like, hey, we need you to keep training while you're pregnant. Right. Um, and of course, you know, you, you, you want to stay, you want to stay fit. There's nothing wrong with, you know, exercising while you're pregnant. Just the first time I saw the picture on Instagram, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think that she's wanting to stay fit. She's also kind of a leadership personality with the team. So um, having, having her at training, um, being a mentor to everybody in, in those leadership roles, while some of the international players are away, that that's a bonus as well. Um, so yeah, I think that there's various reasons, um, that she's there, but it'll definitely be interesting to see, you know, how she remains involved throughout this year. And I hadn't really thought about that. The, the importance of, you know, as we would normally say that bench player, you know, or the, the older player that's not starting anymore, but adds that veteran presence that, you know, extra dose of personality, like, you know, mentoring the young players. And it sounds like that, that Orlando is ca- is going to have to bring in, uh, you know, a, a lot of young players. So that's, that's a really yeah. good point to make about LaRue. Um, have you had a chance to talk much with, with Mark Skinner or what have you heard about his philosophy or what, you know, what do we know about how he's going to try to shape the team or is it way too early to tell? Yeah, I I think I don't think it's way too early. Uh, I personally haven't been able to speak with him, but I know that Jordan has spoke with him a lot. Um, and what I've heard is that he is very tech savvy. Um, he's 
been able to kind of show players using technology and using video and using different ways of like what he envisions and how he wants to integrate things and breaking things down in a slightly different way than maybe they were used to before. Um, he's very big on one-on-one meetings and connecting with the players to make clear, you know, what he's looking for. So um, hopefully those are all good things because obviously this roster had the talent last year. It has it this year, um, but something wasn't connecting. So um, we'll see if he can, he can bridge those gaps. Yeah. I always think it's really interesting when we get someone coming over from, from the UK system, uh, see how they adapt in NWSL. You know, when I, when I think of Matt Beard and Boston Breakers, I feel like, you know, if he had just had one more year, we could yeah. have seen, you know, something really interesting. And, uh, you know, Skinner wasn't even named in time for uh, the draft, though, though I'm sure they had him in mind. It might have been talking to him, you know, but it, it's like, it is such a short run up similar to, you know, you guys launching pro soccer USA.com where yeah. it's like, all right, <laughs> your coach season starts in three months. Ready to go. <laughs> you know, yeah. And um, that's why I think it's important. Like, you know, whatever product or however they launch, there's going to be continual evolving throughout the year. And then to be right. thrown in on, on a world cup year, it's going to be, going to be a significant challenge um so i think definitely patience is something that everybody in this situation should have and and coming in you know with a world cup year like you said first year and we've got you know a total of three new coaches in in the in the league so it's it's like hey you know makes those three teams they've got their own challenges and then i would also think if you're an opponent to orlando or houston or washington spirit it's like okay, I can't go by what I know they did last year. Who knows what, uh-huh. you know, what, what's going to be, what's going to be out there. Um, so definitely looking forward to, to, you know, this season and just uh, kind of that, that next phase for Orlando. It's, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of similarities between the paths of, uh, Houston and Orlando, at least from the, okay, you launch the franchise, it happens pretty quickly, you know, um, and then now you're going into your next era, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, though in some ways I, I feel that, you know, Orlando benefited from being the exp- second expansion team of, oh, okay, now we know that the draft needs to be done like this and, you know, we should allow this and, you know, those kind of things. But I, I still believe it's very challenging for any expansion team in the league because it's just so competitive having the roster spots in the past to really develop players. So it, it seems like, yeah. you know, the, the clubs were, okay, you have to perform immediately, you know, and, yeah. and I really saw that pressure on Orlando in, in, in 2016. And it seems like maybe now it's kind of settling into a more like, okay, it's, you know, you just can't hire the best players and say, all right, we're the best team. It's like, there's so much that goes into it. There's more than just having the best players. They all have to be able to work together. Um, And then a good supporting cast. And so one good thing that might come out of it is um, out of a world cup year is players like Kristen Edmonds, who stepped up so much for the pride in the past when international players were gone. Um, 
Danica Evans, um, Rachel Hill, uh, those types of players, I think can really make it make an impact when when the international players are gone. And then Haley Kottmeyer is going to have to step in for Ashton yeah. Harris, yep. you know, for, for exactly. that, that long period. And, you know, she's been a starter before, but this is her chance to maybe take it to the next level. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about prosoccerusa.com and Orlando pride. Um, especially I think the timing timing's perfect with the, Alex Morgan getting goal number 100 and 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 Krieger mm-hmm. back in camp but of course we'll have to see yeah. if, if she actually gets gets cap 99 this weekend but uh good luck uh with with the website and of course your travels in France this summer. Yes, thank you so much and thank you for having me. time to wrap it up with the back four we're finally here the nwsl seventh season kicks off this weekend two games on saturday two games on sunday you can check out the schedule at nwslsoccer.com every game this season will stream live and free on yahoo sports both online on their website and via the yahoo sports app If you haven't already downloaded the app, I would do it now. And if you've had the app on your phone for a long time, I would recommend deleting it and reinstalling to make sure that all the new NWSL features show up. And there are a lot of cool features, so be sure to check that out. And of course, we just wrapped up the April FIFA International window. If you missed one of those games or were unable to find a live stream, just check my Keeper Notes Twitter feed for a link to a Google Sheet I set up that has a list of video links for all the international games uh, so far in 2019. I will add more links as I find them. If you have a link that I don't have listed, feel free to email it to me, keeper at keepernotes.com. And many thanks to all those hardcore fans who do the work of posting those videos online. I know it takes a lot of time. And you definitely need to check out my NWSL t-shirt designs at keepernotes.spreadshirt.com. At least one design is up there, actually multiple designs for every team now. And I'll, I'll be adding more. Feel free to send suggestions to keeper at keepernotes.com. $2 of every shirt sold from my Spreadshirt account will go to the NWSL Players Association. That is basically the players union that represents those players who are not part of the U.S. national team. And last but not least, be sure you are following MixZone. That's two X's in Mixed. MixZone and Keeper Notes on Twitter. Uh, I often do giveaways or just share really fun, nerdy stats. And very soon, uh, I'll be launching a new KeeperNotes.com. It's kind of in transition right now, so you can't really find anything if you go to the website. But very soon, there will be a new KeeperNotes.com. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to all of you who share this with friends or post a review or tweet about it. I really appreciate it. And many thanks, of course, to Sean for putting this all together. But now she's anybody's girl.